Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, coming up in this hour, this morning, we'll get you started with some great stories from Steve Cleveland. A-plus from Steve Cleveland. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10, this is why we have Steve on. After a lifetime of basketball, he's got stories, including Michael Jordan stories. Michael Jordan basketball stories, Michael Jordan golf stories. Stay tuned later this hour. You want to hear this. Coming up next, Mark Madsen, UVU basketball coach. It's a, it's a new world for college coaches. Transfers are critical. You can't evaluate high school kids in person. AAU tournaments don't look like they're going to be happening this summer. What is a coach to do? And for those of you still hung up on Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mark Madsen on how much conflict there was in the average Laker locker room on the average day. Not in June at the parade. During the season, Mark Madsen with some good stories of his own. Next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. We'll be joined by our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, coming up at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Time right now to talk with UVU basketball coach Mark Madsen. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing well. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing, I'm doing really well also. When you're a college basketball coach, is there anything new and exciting right now, or are you caught in the same kind of time warp the rest of us are, and you don't necessarily know exactly what day of the week it is because they're all kind of the same? <laughs> I think the biggest thing for us has been, uh, I mean, we've really been focusing on recruiting. Um, originally, right after the season ended, I was planning on you know, flying to different places in the country to, to see recruits, and we were going to bring in a lot of players we were talking to on official visits. But when this whole thing happened, they, the NCAA basically put off-campus recruiting on hold, on-campus recruiting on hold, and so we've been doing most of ours on Zoom. Uh, it's interesting that you have to do this. I guess you have to adapt. Everybody has to do it. But I'm wondering for you, you know, you're a personable guy, and you can talk to a lot of different people from different cultures and whatnot, and you get to know them. And people, I think, are drawn to you. You think you've been able to be as effective, or how much has it impacted your recruiting not being able to have you being in the homes of parents and players? Obviously, in in person is always going to be better because you can just build more of a relationship there, uh, read body language, things like that. But um, I think the good thing in the case of of how it's worked out for UVU this year is we've been spending a lot of time building relationships, um, you know, over the past six to nine months 
with players. And, and so we've had, you know, some in-person contact already. And so now coming in where you already have that relationship built, it's a lot easier if you have to do it, you know, online and phone calls and, and video conference. So as you uh, go through this, is it going to uh, – because it, it looks like there aren't going to be, uh, you know, the whole AAU circuit hit up this summer. How much is it going to throw recruiting into a uh, a new, crazy, unpredictable place? How much is it going to lead to more transfers? And in a weird way, is it helping you get ahead on the next class because you're at home and you got more time to spend on that? One thing – I mean, <laughs> one thing we do have – plenty of right now is time and so we're able to watch a lot of video on guys um, whether it's high school players college players transfers um, so we do have that I, I mean I feel I feel bad for the high school juniors right now and even some high school seniors that, that are unsigned because they were banking on going out there and being able to showcase their skills in front of all types of different college coaches but but now they can't do it they can't do it and, and and so there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough, especially coming out of high school where coming out of high school, it's just a little bit more unknown what, what players can do, but there's going to be a lot of diamonds in the rough, you know, for a lot of schools out there. Um, if they, if they can sign the right players. I'm wondering Mark, during your first season as the head coach, how you handled your emotions as far as big wins devastating losses like watching you walk off the floor as I watched that lucky shot go in at New Mexico State when that obviously was going to be your marquee win of the season but yet the, <laughs> if I remember correctly it was a bank shot from 25 feet or whatever it was and you know I can remember you when you won went to the final four in Stanford and you were there's a video of you just going nuts out on the floor and we know what you did with the Lakers uh, what type of emotions and how different are they the highs and lows as a player versus a coach? Well, they're different because when you're a player, I mean, you're always invested in one thing, winning. But after a great win, you kind of, you feel it as a player and you look at how you played personally. Um, After a really tough loss, again, as a player, you feel the pain of the loss and you kind of just focus on what you yourself did wrong. That's what I did. If we had a tough loss and I was a player, hey, what did I do wrong? What can I do better? So when you're a coach, and, and if you lose a close one like we did at New Mexico State, you, you know, you, you basically look at every single player, number one. You look at yourself. You, you, know, pro- you look at yourself probably before you look at every player. And, and you say to yourself, how can I help this team get over the hump to get this win? At New Mexico State, for example, we're, you know, we're up one with five, six seconds left. They come down and bank a three in. Um, they hadn't lost on their home court in a really long time. We were about to beat them. But as you go back and you watch the tape, you know, there's maybe 10 or 15 things throughout the first half and, and going into the second half where, hey, if we can correct these things, and instead of being up one, we're up seven. And then, you know, that's fine. Come on down and bank a three in. We still win. And so as a coach, you, you feel, I feel much more responsible. I, I mean, because I am. And, and I look at all the little things that, that I need to um, drill and teach as a coach to, 
to help the players get better individually and to also to help the team get better. So as you do that, how much do uh, previous coaches, whether it's Mike Montgomery at Stanford or uh, Phil with the Lakers or somebody else who isn't as famous but still had an impact on you, how much do you hear their voices come flooding back? All the time. All the time. I mean, I'm lucky because I played for Mike Montgomery, one of the greatest uh, coaches, especially in college of all time, and and Phil Jackson, who, I mean, his, I mean, Phil's unbelievable. And, And you know, I remember one time we we were up on our road trip in Washington State in the Pac-12 when I was playing at Stanford, and, and we had a tough loss. And so I happened to be on the plane close to Mike Montgomery, and he said, hey, you, you know, what did you think? And, you know, I was a freshman, and I said, well, I, I have to do this better. I have to do that better. But really he was asking me, what, what can we do better as a team? And I, I could tell he was upset we had lost, and – I remember on the plane at one point he opened up a he opened up like a a Wild West book like a Western type frontier thriller probably to just to think about something else for a little while before he dove into the tape and you know I, I always I'll always remember that especially now that I'm coaching because if you get too consumed you know after a win or a loss mostly I'm up late watching tape. But you can't get too consumed to where, to where you can't still be a great mentor, push the guys in the right way, and still have great relationship with the players. Is it hard to find that balance as a head coach? It's hard. It, it, it's, it is really hard. I mean, I think I, I was alongside Luke Walton for a few years in L.A., two or three years, and I think one thing that Luke Walton did extremely well is he didn't get too high with wins and he didn't get too low with losses. Um, it's a lot easier to teach, uh, you know, in terms of constructive criticism to, to the players after a win, because look, after a win, everything's fine. After a loss, everybody takes it tough. The head coach, the assistant coaches, the players, and, and believe me, the, the players look at everything they did wrong. And so, the last thing you want to do after a tough loss is just show every single negative clip, every single teaching clip. That's the last thing you want to do. But you still have to teach. You still have to show it. So timing, you know, one-on-one versus showing it to the group. There's so, many, there's so much psychology that, that goes into coaching. So you're the head coach, and you're the guy who's supposed to have all the answers. So when you need help – where do you turn to? Because you got to be careful. You can't upset the whole team dynamic, show too much weakness and all of that. But you can't be the guy who has all the answers all the time because nobody has all the answers all the time. What do you do? Well, first of all, I'm grateful because we have an unbelievable staff. Um, I'll start with Todd Phillips. I mean, he won two national championships at Solid Community. Before he got there, nobody had heard about Solid Community College. Um, I'm speaking nationally. And then he helps build it into a powerhouse. So he's, he has tremendous knowledge. Uh, Todd Okeson, really one of the top up-and-coming coaches in, in the game um, in terms of I mean, he played point guard um, at Nevada, led his team to the Sweet 16. Great basketball mind, strong recruiter. And then you got Jared Jackson, who was a key piece of, of everything Texas Tech has been doing. So n- number one, you have a great staff. But, but number two... I mean, I, I use my contacts. I use my Rolodex. I mean, I've, I've spoken to Mike Montgomery. I've spoken to Phil Jackson. 
um, you know, sometimes you ask for advice because they've been there for good times and, and they've had bad times also as a coach, um, as coaches. I remember one time at the Lakers, we had lost seven or eight out of 10 under Phil Jackson. And, you know, he dealt with it and he helped us rebound into, into a great season. And so, you know, I would say I turned to my staff and, and I turned to, you know, trusted mentors. You've been in the locker room for a long time, Mark, and can speak to this with a lot of authority, uh, particularly with that Lakers situation. There's been some stuff about Gobert and Mitchell not getting along and all that stuff. What is you, as you look, and I know you're not particularly close to the situation, but I'm not asking you to speak specifically. I'm asking you to speak generally as far as what the message is if teammates should be having any conflict. Well, it's it's a great question because <laughs> my, my first two years at the Lakers, we were winning championships. Everybody was happy in June, but there was so much conflict throughout the season. There just was. There was drama. There was – you would wake up in the morning and read something in the L.A. Times. Phil was, you know, calling out a player publicly. The player would go back at Phil. I mean, it was ne- it's never perfect in a locker room. It's just never perfect. Um, I think what you hope is you hope that that there's never a risk that can't be healed. And even if, it's, if it doesn't heal 100%, hopefully whatever risk there is um, on any team, it can get back to a point where there's a professional relationship. I, I think one thing that's talked about a lot in the NBA is professionalism. You know, Things are going to happen. Sometimes those things are personal. Sometimes, most of the time it's not, but, but sometimes it's personal. And, and that's where, I mean, it's amazing how many NBA players I've seen just get in the same room and hash something out and, and crush it. Now, that doesn't always happen either. But it, it's just amazing when, when two guys really want to communicate and solve a problem, it, it gets done. So, some of us invested a couple hours watching The Last Dance. Does that kind of stuff uh, intrigue you going back in time? Or you got enough on your plate now, you, you leave all the retro stuff to other people? <laughs> well, I haven't watched it yet. Um, I, I want to watch it. We have, a, we have a seven-week-old, and we have a two-year-old. So, when I'm not recruiting, <laughs> I'm, I'm chasing my little guys. I'm chasing the... I'm chasing the you know two year old and I'm I'm holding the seven month old, um, but I am looking forward to you know sometimes you especially now I, they're going to be pockets and times nine p.m. at night ten p.m. where there's going to be quiet moments when maybe I can take a look at that and just enjoy it. I understand there's an announcement that you want to make regarding something, so why don't you do it right now for us, Mark? Well, I mean, I think number one, it's really exciting. We've had we've had a great, we've had a fantastic week of signings. We've signed a number of great players, and there was a new signing that UVU announced this morning. Um, Evan Cole out of Georgia Tech is coming to UVU. Um, he's, he'll be a graduate transfer. He's an unbelievable player. He's a he's a high level talent. Um, obviously, we, we signed a lot of guys last week, and. And, uh, you know, I've talked about those guys publicly. And 
this commitment from Evan uh, came down the home stretch late Friday night. And so, you know, Evan is a 6'10", 225-pound bruiser, but also he, uh, he has tremendous agility and tremendous skill. He shoots threes. He, he drives to the basket. I was watching table one game where he, he spread out on the wing. I mean, he looked, he looked like a, he looked like an NBA wing player, Euro stepping smaller guards. And so th- this is a big time player, uh, who's coming to UVU, Evan Cole. And I'm just incredibly excited. I think, I think all, all of our players are excited and I think the university is excited. Um, the great thing about Evan also is as great of a player as he is coming from Georgia Tech, th- there's a humility there. And there's just a quiet confidence and a leadership factor that that make him really special and unique. So I'm curious uh, because guys do go and move nationally, uh, but a, a lot of it still seems local and regional. How do you get somebody from the other side of the country? What is the tie? How does that work? How do how do how do you get to this point? Well. I think, you know, you look at all the success that UBU has had from and it, it really starting with Dick Hunsaker, um, all the winning he had. Coach Mark Pope kind of took it to, to an even higher level in terms of number of wins and, and success. Um, you, you know, you look at some of the marquee players. I mean, one of Dick Hunsaker's key recruits came from Chicago, Ronnie Price, who, who went on, obviously, you guys, I mean, you guys know Ronnie well. Um it, you know, you look at Coach Pope, some of the great players that, that he was able to recruit. There's a national footprint at UVU, and that's something that, that we are trying to continue. Um, because, and I said it in the press conference when I first took over the job, we want to put up walls around the state of Utah. We want to fence this state in and get the very best players that we can get uh, in this state. But we also want to be a very big player nationally and even internationally. We've looked at international recruits, um, Australia, Switzerland, um, and, and so we've looked at those routes. But, but no, I think there has to be a, a good balance of uh, across the board in recruiting. So you look at Evan Cole. He had uh, narrowed his list down to, I think, about uh, 11 schools. Obviously, you were on that list. So was BYU, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Boston College. Uh, so a lot of big-name programs that you were able to uh, secure his services in competition with. And correct me if I'm wrong, he comes in as a grad transfer, so he'll be immediately eligible this season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's immediately eligible, and he'll be ready to play out of the gate. So where do you but, sit? I mean, look. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, no, sorry. The, uh, I mean, the recruiting landscape is always competitive. I mean, and, and I would say for Evan, um, obviously Evan, Evan had plenty. Evan had many, many options because he's a highly sought-after player. I think, um, you know, I think we clicked with, with Evan, and I think he, he liked the style of play. Um, we recruited him hard. Um, but th- there's no question that, that Evan is a game-changer, that, that he's a guy that can, that can come in and do huge things for the team. So where do you sit as far as scholarships now? Are you all good to go? Do you still have some uh, room? Could there be more we, guys here? Yeah, we, we, yep, we still have some room, and, and we're still looking at uh, um, 
we're still looking at some players. I, I think we've, I think Evan is either, he's either the fifth or sixth guy we sign off to go back and, and, and look. But, um, but we're in process with a few others. And again, um, you know, m- most of the local guys, we, we've, we've signed the, the, the Utah based guys already, but we're looking at a few other guys nationally and building relationships. Um, you know, the transfer portal is a big part of college basketball. It's funny. I joke with, I joke with the staff all the time. I said, coaching in college now is, is almost like building an NBA team or a G league team because it's free agency every single year. The only difference between college and the pros is in the pros, you can put a guy under contract for three years, four years in college. You can't, <laughs> you can't, um, which to me makes it all the, all the better because it's better for players. Players should be able to have free movement. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Mark. You, so you favor in terms of free movement, what would that be? They're immediately eligible or have it be a one-time deal? What's your thought on that? Well, I mean, obviously, I think I'm kind of a guy that always sides with players because I did play. And so, um, but look, complete free, free movement is a nightmare for coaches because then, I mean, you've got to rebuild your roster every single year. But, but I do think that as you allow more free movement, it kind of holds college coaches accountable um, in the sense that I, I used to tell people, I said, look, in the end, when you're a coach in the NBA – you got to call guys out. I mean, you got to be a disciplinarian, but you have to be a diplomat also because you got players making $30 million a year, $20 million a year. Coaches are making a fraction of that. So you have to have strong relationships with the players um, to be able to coach. Um, And the way the college game used to be, I mean, it used to be a college coach could be a dictator of, you know, not, not that all of us are, but it used to be college coaches could be the worst dictators ever belittling guys, um, all, all kinds of things. And, and most college coaches are not like that, especially now, but before when players, it was really hard to transfer before. And so when you're a college player, you kind of had to stick out anything. Um, but now coaches know, Hey, if I don't treat my players right, they could just up and leave. And so I, I ultimately think it, it's good. I'm probably okay with, with a one-time free transfer. Um, you know, even though that, that makes my job a little bit harder, I'm probably okay with it. Well, Mark, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Congratulations on the get, and we look forward to seeing uh, who else you might land. I hey, appreciate the time, guys. Have a great day. There's Mark Madsen. So there was conflict all the time. Be a professional, fix it as best you can, move on, keep winning. All right? Words to live by. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, spectacular Michael Jordan stories. Next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. We are joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, the former Fresno State and BYU basketball coach. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, I got to see a different side of PK, and I know you know different sides of PK, but they still, we know the public exterior of PK, and we were texting last night before... Um, we were texting Sunday night before the uh, documentary started, and PK texts, I'm so excited. I have an assignment. I have something to watch tonight. You could almost feel like, you know, 13-year-old PK being all fired up in a way that gruff newspaper PK can never be fired up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, so you've got a lot of uh, memories of that time, and as a college basketball coach, I know you interact with scouts from around the NBA, and so I'm thinking you bring a different perspective, not lifelong jazz fan, not media guy being held at arm's length. You know, The truth is a big ball, and everybody sees it from a different angle, but nobody can see the whole truth all at one time. So I'm curious about your memories of that team and that era and how you saw the Bulls. You know what I have? I do have a different perspective, and I, you know, last night I ended up. I actually taped. I've not watched the first two episodes. Uh, for whatever reason, my wife and I were watching some World War II documentary, and we. Yeah, but I had taped it, knowing that I watched it. So I'm looking forward to watching it. But I did. You know, it was, it was really interesting. I had just come to BYU during that time when the Jazz were playing, so I was. I saw and saw it firsthand in terms of the perspective of the Jazz fans and how difficult that was. But when I was a high school basketball coach at Clovis West High School back in the mid-'80s, I, uh, I lived at a time, you remember Boyd Grant, mm-hmm. uh, coach, longtime yeah. successful yeah. coach at Fresno State and Colorado State. And uh, Boyd had a, had a great player that played for him by the name of Rod Higgins. Rod would eventually be drafted by the Bulls, be Michael Jordan's roommate, and uh, would really lay the foundation for my relationship with Michael in the mid-'80s. And, Michael and I are not good friends, and but we know each other, and, and I haven't seen him in years. But uh, it was kind of interesting. As a high school coach, we have summer camps. And uh, Rod has two really good buddies that were from Chicago, Bobby Anderson and Tyrone Bradley, who had all played on that team for Boyd. They were a sweet 16 team. And uh, they stayed in the community. Rod obviously didn't. He, he went on to play professional basketball. But I remember uh, one day Bobby and Tyrone came over to Clovis West and said, hey, Bobby and I and Rod want to do a camp. I know you have a huge camp here. Let's, could, you want to do something together. And so I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know? And uh, so what I didn't know at the time was that Rod would surprise us about two or three weeks later. He said, hey, listen, Michael wants to come out. And, and I think most of you know Michael loves to play golf, right? And... Uh, and, and there's some great golf in Central California here. And so Rod actually convinced Michael to, uh, to come out. And what ended up happening was uh, <clears throat> Michael came. And, you know, there were maybe 150, 200 campers that came. And uh, so that first year, Michael came out, did a presentation. It was kind of a low-key thing. But, you know, Michael hadn't won any NBA championships, but he had still – it was going for 30 and 40 and 50 a night. Obviously, had uh, everybody knew it was really special. So it was kind of a, a wonderful thing. But uh, that thing evolved into some experiences that, uh, that I, I can share with you that are just incredible about Michael's character 
and his relationship with Rod Higgins. You know, Rod would eventually become the GM at Charlotte. He was a GM at Golden State, and and is one of Michael's very closest friends. I don't even know if Rod was even mentioned or will be mentioned in this documentary, but uh, they they were close friends, and so that's how that thing started. Yeah, Higgins is uh, is is mentioned in there. They they yeah they 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 interview him and and that name stuck out to me because I knew of the Fresno State uh, uh, connection as you just spoke of. There's a lot of things that I wanted to talk to you about this and and how it relates in in the world of of players in the world of coaching uh, and and start with being a player uh, to be great to the level of greatness you obviously has to have you have to have the talent that is indisputable but what else is it that makes somebody go above and beyond i mean basically do you have to have a little sob in you well let, let me tell you some experiences i have with michael uh just in a competitive nature every night after camp and eventually it, this thing blew up into michael coming for four or five years and we played in arenas, and we, we, we were in my high school gym, and it was Chris Mullen, Timmy Hardaway, Michael Jordan, Rod Higgins. It was, it was for about four years was an incredible thing. And so I saw the competitive side of Michael when they would play at night. And I would say his competitiveness was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I don't care if we were playing tennis or it was ping pong or it was golf. And one of the, one of the really funny experiences that – I'm, I'm, I'm playing golf with Michael out of San Joaquin Country Club with some guys in the community. And to, to just to tell you how competitive he was, so there's a few dollars being played for. And uh, the, a group of young high school kids, really, you know, they're all country club type kids, spoiled, and, and but really good golfers. And they started walking and following us. And Michael was very kind to them, talking to them. But all of a sudden, Towards the end of the round, they're walking. They started talking a little smack to Michael. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things where Michael, you could tell he was getting a little bit irritated. And we kind of go, hey, 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 you know, coolest thing. And then Michael just jumped in and with a few profanities and <laughs> just said, listen, shut up. You, you know, you, you, you better than I am. Fine, let's meet at the first hole. We'll, and when I'm done playing, because they were talking about Michael not hitting it that far. And uh, so Michael was really, I could see that he got under the, the, his skin and he just kind of was done with it. And so half hour later, we're on the first tee of this country club and they got these three or four kids. And Michael says, okay, what are we playing for? <laughs> and the kids go, what? You know, he said, no, he said, put up or shut up, you know, that kind of deal, you know. And, and he said, no, I'm, I'm tired of hearing your trash talking, da 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 da. And he was saying it in kind of a fun way. But. Anyway, I, I don't remember if it was 10 bucks or 20 bucks a kid, but they all got up there and hit key balls, and they all hit them really well. And then Michael jumps up and hits about a 330-yard drive sea level. And, I mean, he's a young NBA player. He's not a golf professional, but he just nails this drive. And the kids start laughing. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I want the money now. And one kid had the money. And Mike, all of a sudden, Michael goes, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. You go to the pro shop, go where you got to go, but we're not leaving until I got my, you know, my $20 per. And you know what? Those kids got really humble. They went after the pro shop, got some money, came back, and, uh, and kind of half were, you know, kind of apologized. And Michael, when they walked off, Michael just smiled. He says, yeah, they learned a lesson today. <laughs> and 
But, I mean, it didn't matter what it was. Michael was just as competitive as a person I've ever seen. And he wasn't obnoxious about it. It was just you knew that you were getting his best shot. I don't care if you were playing ping pong or what you were doing. Uh, he was as competitive as they get. And when you get people like that uh, as a coach, you know special things are going to happen. And I think all of us as coaches have coached guys who were really, really competitive. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's the difference between being really, really good and being great. So can you speak to the, and you've probably with the story, you've given us a little hint already, but uh, we've seen how combative in the first two episodes, we've seen how combative Michael can be with somebody he doesn't like or doesn't respect because he is just going after Jerry Krause. Uh, but with Higgins, how much loyalty did you see with a teammate he really appreciates? Unbelievable loyalty. And I, I will tell you this, and just a, a quick story, too, to go with that. We had agreed to do actually a, a game with, with all these pros and do it at the, that Selland Arena, which was the, 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 the arena in, in downtown Fresno. And Michael was to come out, and we had sold it out. There was about nine or 10,000 seats. We had sold it out. And uh, we had, you know, I would think it was like 10 bucks a ticket or something, but it, was, it has been sold out. And we got a phone call the day of the event, early in the morning, that uh, Michael called and called Rod and said, man, I can't get there. I can't get there. And Rod, and Rod go, what do you mean you can't get there? He says, well, I, I don't remember if it was Pepsi or Coke, but he was doing a corporate outing in North Carolina, and he, he was speaking. He said, I just can't get there. And so I, I get this phone call. I said, hey, he's not coming. I said, if he doesn't come, we're going to have to leave town. We just sold this place out. Michael Jordan's coming. And we were in full-fledged panic, you know, and I just kept telling, you know, Rod, Rod, listen, we got to do something. We got to fly him out. We got to do something. Anyway, long story short, Michael got a Gulfstream. I think it was a G4. Convinced Coke, I think it was, to fly him as soon as it was done. Fly him in. We got to He gets the three hours back flying out. He flies from North Carolina to Fresno, lands in Fresno, comes, gets there about ten minutes before the game's supposed to start. Plays, leaves early, gets on the jet, and flies back. That's how close he and Rod Higgins were. So, you know, he wasn't going to disappoint, you know, one of his very, very close friends at the time. So that showed me more about the – I mean, hey, we all have flaws, okay? Nobody's perfect. But that's as high a character thing as I've ever seen for a friend in a situation where he didn't need to come, but he did it because of Rod. Steve, you lived in Fresno your whole life. Your name would have been wrecked. Oh, oh no! Oh, let me let me tell you something right now. We would have had to put a for sale sign up, and I, I just got out of town. <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness! There was so much hype about that, and we did it a couple of years. And I think Rod Thorne eventually said, "All right, we're done with this, you, uh, Michael. You can't do this because we had he had three or four other NBA guys playing. I mean, that stuff could never happen today in today's world, but it happened. And I tell people this, and, and they think I'm making it up. I said, I promise you, I'm not making this up. And it happened because of Rod. You know, and, and obviously we enjoyed the benefits from it and uh, just some special experiences with him. And, you know, I saw him a few other times, but obviously I watched him like you guys watched him. But, I, I mean, I watched him play against college kids, and, you know, it wasn't the mentor type thing. He just wanted to bury them. And, and occasionally there would be some talk in, in those games between, uh, you know, you, you, Chris Mullen and uh, Timmy Hardaway. They weren't basketball about talking smack either. 
And uh, those games got really competitive. And, uh, and especially with the college kids who would pop off, Michael would just destroy them. When you watch it, you'll see when he scored that 63 or 5 points against the, uh, the great uh, Celtics team that won the title, a guy that you know very well, Ainge, was on that team. And they do a little thing, actually showed a little clip of right before that game, an off day. So I think it was, that was in game two. So after game one, before game two, Ainge and Jordan went and played golf somewhere in the Boston area. And uh, Ainge talks about it in there. They interview him in that uh, little thing. I don't mean because they played two episodes. I don't remember if it was in episode one or episode two. But yeah, I, I, I had seen that golf. on Twitter and – that didn't surprise me. <laughs> that didn't surprise me all just because I know my. So who's better? <laughs> oh, you know what? I think Danny's probably a better player, and I, I, I'm, you know, I've been with Danny when he's played. I'm not, I guess you, I probably probably played golf with him, but I, I, I certainly have watched him play. And and at that time when I, you know, I don't know how good Michael got. Michael hit it a ton, but you know, for every, you know, he'd have a birdie or two, and then and then there'd be a double. And uh, and I don't, I think back in those days in the. Mid to late '80s, he was probably a eight or nine or ten, maybe eleven handicap. But I'm, I'm sure he got better. And uh, but that's about the time that he would have been playing with Danny. So I'm I'm thinking I've only seen Danny, at, at, and I don't remember him playing as. But I would say that Danny probably uh, got the best of him, no matter how competitive they were, because Danny's a really really good golfer. The best part. But they of- both hit it a ton. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, Michael killed that thing, and. Uh, and, and golf was still somewhat somewhat new to him, you know. But he had just fallen. He was he loved that game as much as he did hoop, I think. So I, I don't want to wreck the whole show for you, but it was just priceless, Steve. So they 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 show game one where Jordan goes for forty nine and just blows Larry Bird's mind, right? And then uh-huh. game then they go golfing on as PK says between one and two. And in game two, he's going to come back and go for sixty three. <clears throat> And Larry Bird, and Larry Bird drops the that wasn't Michael Jordan that was God disguised as Michael Jordan. I mean Bird was beyond. I mean he's just completely in awe of how good Jordan was that night. Uh, but so they're golfing and they all rode out to whatever course they played at together. And Ainge is telling the story. He says when we get back and and we're dropped MJ off first and Jordan gets out and says hey tell your guy DJ I got something for him tomorrow night. He calls a shot. He's coming off 49, and then he tells him, <laughs> tell DJ I got something for him, and he goes for 63. Ah, you know, I know Jordan is awesome, but when I hear stories like that, I think, you're even better than I thought you were, and I already thought you were awesome. You know, you know, it's funny that you, you could have conversations with him, and, and you know, we had conversations about a lot of different things, but when, when it got into that setting... And anybody thought, you know, because everybody was going to try to one-up him. You know what I mean? Like, this is their opportunity. And not many guys at his level, and, and, and at that point in time, he hadn't won NBA championships. And I'm sure, you know, these, these kind of things were when he was a younger NBA player, but still a really, really good player. And, uh, uh, but you, you could you put him in a competitive situation or somebody started talking to you, and he would immediately put it into another gear and, and shut you down. You know what I mean? It was like... He, he wasn't. He, he, he had that instinctively in him, and it came out in him in competitive situations. But all, you know, away from that, he was just funny. He had a sense of humor, and would tease you and, and do things. I saw him around people and how he interacted, 
and he was so cordial and kind. But when you got him in a competitive situation, uh, man, there was a different different animal. <laughs> Show you how much the league has changed. He wins his first title in 1991, right? And I'm working in a suburban newspaper in the Los Angeles area. So it was after uh, would have been uh, game uh, three, I think. And uh, my job was just to do, working for a newspaper there, my job was to do Bulls locker room. So I walk in the locker room after the game. I think they had won in overtime. And there he's sitting. He's by himself. He didn't go to the podium. And so... Uh, I, I walk up to him. There's nobody in there. It's just me and him. And I said to him, are you available for interviews? He says, yes, sit down. We have about a 15-minute conversation about the game before the rest of the media realized that he wasn't going to be at the podium. And so I got this one-on-one after game three of the NBA Finals with MJ. I mean, could you imagine even getting no. within 20 yards of him in today's world, the way the things have changed. It really blew my mind. I was a young kid at the time, and I didn't really realize it. But And then to see the way the NBA is conducting business now, it seems like it would have been 100 years ago. Oh, that's an amazing, that's an amazing thing. You're right. It's been downhill since. <laughs> can you imagine that? For me, yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> no, can you imagine, Pat, how, how unbelievable that is and, 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 uh, and, and, and that setting? Uh, that's an incredible story. That, that never happens again. And it's the same thing with my experiences with him. That, that never happens. You know, no, people don't believe that. You know, you could tell your peers about that, all that. No, that didn't really happen. Oh, yeah, it did. And I sat there for 15 minutes. That's an incredible, uh, an incredible experience where you get to kind of see the real Michael in a setting all by yourself. So, yeah, that's pretty special. There's some of those things out there in preparation for the last dance. Probably two weeks ago, I was flipping around on YouTube, looking at different stuff on Jordan, and I came across, because you know, I went to UC Santa Barbara, and I came across this video, and I knew right away it was the Thunderdome, and it was set up for camps and intramurals with all the bleachers pushed back. It's seats 6,000, but it's all bleachers. And I knew it as soon as I saw it, because I've been in there a million times, and it was Jordan, and a camper had trash-talked him, and Jordan got in a game and scored on every possession. And I thought of that when you were and the video, and he's just going up and down the score. And it is effortless. And to think that some poor camper thought he was going to stop MJ, and MJ's just, he's getting layups, he's getting fadeaway jumpers. And, and it's old. It wasn't, it's not, you know, Jordan from a year ago, I don't think ago. It's a little older. He's been doing camps there for a long time. I don't even know how long. 20 yeah, well, he years, was maybe. Doing, he was doing all the Nike stuff there for years. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, I, I went there a couple of times. And he was there, and uh, yeah, he he was there a lot. That's that's kind of funny. That uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the experience I had with him too. Is that uh, you you needed to respect him, especially if you were a camper or someone else, and you start talking smack, you were going to get embarrassed publicly. <laughs> uh, last thing I think here before we before we let you go, unless PK's got one more thing, you said something about there's a lot of good golf in Central California. There's a lot of golfers who listen to this show, and there's so many golf courses in Utah, and they're so inexpensive. You don't really need to travel. But if you ever find yourself out in the Central Valley, uh, for a while, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, uh, lived in Sonora. And I went with her husband golfing. And Steve, it was an awesome course. It was in good shape. And it wasn't very crowded and it wasn't very expensive. And I think everybody thinks expensive California golf, which you're, you know, if you're with all the people along the coast, it is. But the Central Valley really is different. 
Oh, it, it is, and, and the courses are green and lush, and uh, you know this is you know the Central Valley obviously is is kind of the heartland of agriculture in, in the country, and so you know you you look at Fort Washington and San Joaquin Country Club too. You know they they've hosted NC2A championships. I know BYU last year came out to the course where I play in Fort Washington and, and won the tournament. I had a chance to walk around with uh, with Bruce Bachbank and the team and, and, and just be around him for a couple of days. And Peter Quest, a great player there, who's just finished his golfing career, uh, I had a chance to walk around with them. And they, and they love the golf course. But you're right. there There is so much good golf in Central California, and it's half the cost. Mm-hmm. It's half the cost of going down in Orange County, going to Santa Barbara. You know, I mean, there's great golf everywhere, uh, but it, it is really a lot less expensive. And so uh, that, that experience is good. And, uh, yeah, we, that's one of the really cool things about living in this area. It's really affordable golf, and there's a lot of courses. I do got one thing for you, Steve. Uh, yep. I want to see if you know anything about this Fresno State kid, Jared Hyder. He's a freshman. He started. He's got his name in the transfer portal. He lists BYU as one of his top five schools. Obviously, he's got uh, Cal and St. Mary's that are in the region there. Sure. But do you know anything about him? I watched him, and at the end of the year, you know, uh, the, the, it was interesting. Justin Hudson, longtime coach of San Diego State, a good friend of mine, he's the coach there. His first year, they had a great year. This year, they had all freshman guys hurt. And so he was experimenting. And, and, and late in the year, he, he got a lot of time and could really shoot, had some, had some games where he shot it really well. Uh, I think they had – it doesn't surprise me because I had heard that, that maybe they were bringing two or three guards in. Uh, you know, and then any time you come off a tough season, you're obviously uh, – you know, you're you're looking to be better than you were this past year, and it was an unfortunate thing because he's playing a lot of freshmen, and 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 then he, he dealt with injuries throughout the year. So I did watch him play two or three times, and I watched him fill it up a couple times where he hit two, three, four threes in a row. Pretty athletic. I, I think he's. I can't remember, but he seemed like he was six two, six three. But he did play um, more significant minutes, and I know that they signed a couple of guards coming in, so. Who knows what the circumstances are? I haven't talked to Justin about it, but he 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 can't he can't shoot it and score it, uh, and that was from two games that I actually watched, uh, where he he, you know, he seemed to have a great stroke, and uh, wasn't wasn't bashful about shooting it. So uh, I would I would think he comes in as a, maybe a combo guard. I think he played some point, but he played a little bit of a combo position. But yeah, I think he'd be a good get for anybody, especially when he's just a freshman. And more than likely, have they have they decided whether they're going to have to sit or not, or are they going to let him automatically be eligible? I don't think it's official yet, but it seems to me like everyone's going to be automatically eligible. Yeah. So, yeah, he he comes in and uh, you know he he played. Mountain West was up this year. They had good teams in the league, and I think when he finally got his chance to play, and I, I don't have no idea why he's leaving, but. Uh, most of the time, it's you know you're looking for more playing time or w- those kind of circumstances. So, but he was playing uh, some decent minutes at the end. But uh, whatever his frustration was, somebody's going to get a pretty good player. Steve, as always, thanks for the time. Thanks for the stories. You never disappoint. We appreciate having you on. Talk to you later, guys. Thanks.
There's Steve Cleveland. Great Michael Jordan stories. Golfing stories, basketball stories, loyalty to uh, teammates. Uh, Those are awesome Jordan stories from Steve Cleveland. Thanks for having him on. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.